Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 105 of the Fitness Devil Podcast. We've got two fellow podcasters and coaches with us today. We got Jason Lienertz and Rafal Matuszewski. We brought them together to kind of have a fun, low-key, shit-talking episode uh, with some of our industry friends, but I think you'll really enjoy it. We talk a little bit about the the way we have to walk a line between talking to and interacting with our fitness industry friends and social media and yet making sure it's still about our clients and the end consumer and helping them and not getting lost in what we refer to as the circle jerk of our industry. We talk about why everybody started their podcast. There's a lot of chatter about that and the impact those podcasts could have. Some really cool stories about how each of them have impacted a client and changed their life and how that client was sort of special. And some ideas about how coaches can go back and look at the things that were missing from when they started and what we'd like to see new trainers have access to in terms of educational resources. So stay tuned. Shut up and sit down. Um, we've been laughing behind the scenes, guys, so we should have rolled into a hot start. Uh, we've got a couple of our podcast and uh, trainer contemporaries from the industry here with us. Uh, we've got Jason Leonards and Raf Matyshevsky, and I'll get the guys to introduce themselves a little bit, um, their work and their podcast. It's great to have you guys on. So we'll start with Jason. Tell us a little about you, buddy. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for, for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. I'm actually looking very forward to whatever graphic image you put with our faces on it. But um, yeah, for the for the conversation, let's see. So my name is Jason Leonarts. I own a, a semi-private personal training studio in Stowe, Ohio called Revolution Fitness and Therapy. And as you mentioned, I host a podcast called Revolutionary You. Raf. All right. Uh, again, thank you guys for having me. Like, it's so weird. Like, I've been podcasting for three years, and I'm like nervous being interviewed. Is so weird. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So I have a podcast called Cut the Shit, Get Fit. It's been running for three years now, and I've interviewed a shit ton of people. But uh, on the other side, I work at a gym called Aura Fitness and Yoga, training clients. But the other cool thing that I do is that we have a clinic in the gym called Restore Rehab and Wellness where I've teamed up with a chiropractor and I see every single patient of hers doing active rehab. And the cool thing, we have a lot of like more athletic patients like CrossFit guys and girls. And a lot of times I'm just working on their deadlift, their snatch, just actually cool stuff and not like, here's how to do a bird dog or here's how to do a cobra if you have low back pain. So yeah, I get to do a lot of different things. Well, guys, you'll notice, hopefully, that these guys both have radio voices. So there's something about being a host. It's actually, I, I, I remember when I used to be really big into finding every podcast possible. And you know, the big one for me was the FitCast uh, with Kevin Larrabee. And Kevin's a great host. You know, his voice doesn't match him. It's just kind of funny that he's not what you'd expect behind his it's voice. It's a backhanded compliment? No, no, not at all. It's just he doesn't look like what you think his voice would be. But then you start searching around and you hear some of these voices and it's like, sweet mother of fucking God, this is unlistenable. <laughs> uh, and I don't know what it is. If anybody there is Australian, I apologize, but I find Aussie voices a little hard to listen to online. So Nothing to do with anything you guys said. He just doesn't like Aussie voices. <laughs> I just find them harder to listen to in conversation. So, um, anyway. How did, how did Raf set you off like that? I don't know. I, well, it was just because the boys both have what I would consider to be good radio voices.
voices, right? <laughs> yeah, and the one thing is so it, and now to tie back to fitness, Raph, you weren't always working there because I remember when I was on your podcast and and I met you years ago. You were at yeah. like that was like a, a recent switch, was it not? Yeah, so about two years ago is when I made the switch. So I used to own a gym um, with two business partners, and unfortunately, we had to go our separate ways. But it was quite the learning experience where you think people would be professional, but. Uh, they kind of hit you where the heartstrings were, and it was a, I, I call it a messy breakup, essentially, so it was an <laughs> interesting learning experience, for sure. Well, we, we both, well, I don't know how Jason is, I know what that feels like. And what <laughs> I know what that feels like, too. I just that's, made, I just made a, a post today about That's it. a common thing in our industry, right? I'm not currently getting along with, you know, the former employer that, uh, you know, I had such a great opportunity, a lot of good stuff came out of it, but we're not on great terms at the moment. That shit happens. Um, and I think it's sort of this thing where someone goes on to do something really, really great and, you know, someone else is kind of like shitty about it because... Well, you know, it, I would say it happens a lot just because of totally. the turnover in this industry. Trainers and businesses alike, like in, in Edmonton, I don't know how it is where you guys are at, but we have gyms closing literally three a year at least. And then new ones open uh, up three places. Well, actually way, way more than that. Yeah, probably way more. We had a, a chain of gyms called Snap Fitness, and there's still a bunch of snaps around, but when Anytime came in, I, I swear it caused half the snaps to shut down because they had a similar business model. And, uh, you know, the former, the, the gym that I used to work for, they've over the years actually had to shutter or got kicked out of four locations or, or just had to shut down their, their well, And then their just leases, private so. gyms because everyone wants to get outside, of, gyms. get outside of that model and open up their own gym to realize, like, <laughs> gyms can be very difficult. Well, you would both know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a weird industry, but I, I mean, unlike y'all, I didn't, although I started, I got, um, excuse me, certified when I was in a box gym, I tore my rotator cuff right after I got certified. So I literally couldn't take anybody on and then I moved out of state. So really my introduction into this industry was starting my own business. So it's a slightly different, uh, path into it. So it's, um, but I mean, I still see a lot of turnover in this area. You're like an anomaly. I know. <laughs> like you didn't, you didn't lose your business, and you didn't start the way anyone starts. No. Let's go and have some fun with this. So this is actually a topic of conversation that I've had with a few of my friends in the industry, and I'll sort of start with this. And you know, Jason, you and I certainly have had articles shared on the PTDC's weekly vest. Seems like you're on there every second week. And um, all of our podcasts are listened to by other fitness professionals, and we interact with our industry friends a lot. We travel to conferences, you know, Jason, that's where we've met you, is through conference stuff. And, and a lot of industry friends of mine are people I met there first. We, I certainly have a few industry friends as well who sort of balk at the industry, what they'll call, and they always use the term circle jerk. And they're really Sorry. focused on, there's a smile from Jay, both of the guys, they're really focused on their clients in front of them. And some people get to this point where they just kind of tune out the greater industry or seeking approval from the industry and our fit, fit pro peers. And that's not necessarily how I feel at all. But do you feel like this takes us away from our focus on our true goal, which is to reach and help the end consumer? Or does this all enhance our brand, bring us more clients? And I just wanted to open up your thoughts to both of you guys. You like circle jerks. <laughs> well, you know, and I'm a big music fan, so that's a reference to a great punk group right there. But I, um, you know, for me personally, I 
and granted, we could go causation, correlation all day long with this. But for me, the more I wrote, the more recognition I got for writing. And as it started to basically flesh itself out where I was doing things like going to seminars and that kind of stuff, um, it opened me up to a broader base of trainers, people who are like-minded, people that just want to help lift each other up, which is, I think, the way that it should be. And um, so as, as organizations like the PTDC started sharing the stuff that, um, that I was writing, it just really helped. So then what happens is, is if, if Andrew reads my stuff and he likes it, he shares it, well, then it opens me up to a, you know, a broader base. And anybody who's on social media knows how that popularity, for lack of a better term, starts to, to build. And I think it gives you more clout in front of your clients where they're like, okay, well, this isn't just some guy who's just speaking to us, you know, that just happened to be patrons of his business. This is somebody who's making waves on a broader scale. And, you know, yeah, we, we're in something of a microcosm here with the fitness industry, but we're all here because we support each other. You look at all four of us. Yes, we do podcasts that talk to the fitness industry, but it's bigger than that. And so I just really appreciate the fact that we can all um, be there to kind of stand behind each other and watch each other and applaud and go, hey, I'm proud of you. I just think it's a, it's a great thing. And I think it speaks very loudly to our clients to be able to do that. I like the word that you snuck the word clout in there. That's the word that I think is now super popular in the grander <laughs> social media influencer space. I hear it all the time. Um, you know, I, I actually am inclined to agree. There is a certain prestige in, you know, for clients, some clients, I mean, for your trainer to be writing for you know, major publications and be getting that greater industry renown. So, Raph, what about your experience? Um, like when I kind of started in the industry, I just was surrounded by a lot of coaches that wanted to write pieces of content, do videos to kind of get their name out there to kind of, they almost got blinded by what their true meaning of their career was to help others. And they were just kind of thinking about themselves. And I realized that kind of early on. So I never kind of got into the rat race of it. And that's why I started my podcast. Cause like, I always say this constantly, like I want to help as many people as possible and if my podcast can reach more listeners, then why not? And then I quickly realized, like, for my podcast, it's not so much fitness professionals listening to it, but, like, everyday people. And the moment I started doing solo episodes, and I've been asking people to add me on Facebook who listen to me, I would always reach out to them and be like, hey, like, what episodes were the most helpful? And, like, I've interviewed so many people, and every single person's like, I like your solo episodes. And I'm like, damn, like, that's the kind of recognition I want rather than, like, me trying to get one piece of content on someone else's site that's a bigger name than me. And I think when coaches can kind of really figure out what their core values are and what they really value in life is going to kind of expose that to the rest of the world. I think that that just speaks to, <clears throat> we've talked about it a lot, but intent, because I think the intention a lot of the times with writing and getting stuff out there and content out there is that people are just going to flood you and it ends up, you end up inserting yourself in the circle jerk. We'll use that for, I like that word, I guess, but it doesn't reach the people that you want to reach. So you went into it with, I'm just going to do podcasts. You end up landing yourself right in the middle of the circle jerk, but because you did it the way you did it, your listeners were the people that were going to buy from you, which I think a lot of people miss the mark because there's all this business, business advice. You got to put content out. You got to constantly do this, and this, and this, and this, but usually the people that they end up reaching don't pay the money. And it's not that you need to get paid money, but you can't help people if you're not running a business and people are paying. And it, it's almost like it misses the mark trying to be in the snap dab in the middle of this circle jerk, if that makes sense. There's something yeah. um, that I see very commonly, and it's a fear with new trainers, <clears throat> is trying to write things that 
would pass muster with uh, someone with my level of experience in nine years or, you know, or I, Dean. Dean Somerset's a perfect example, right? And I always say to these new trainers, like, okay, you may be mutual friends with Dean Somerset and you may be mutual friends with some of the rest of us, but most of your Facebook friends aren't friends with us. So they don't give a shit. The, you were writing to that audience, that end user, not to impress me. If you write something that is really, really targeted towards and will appeal to the person you're trying to help, that's going to impress me a lot more than you trying to write something that I might be interested in. Because first of all, I always tell them this, I'm not buying training from you. You will never sell me training. So I like driving that point home because, yeah, they, they get caught up in trying to appeal to the wrong audience. And I actually do, I, I truly believe this. This is where I know there's a fine line. A lot of our industry, including, you know, people that I like a lot and, and some that I'm like, meh, whatever, they spend an enormous amount of time writing to, arguing with, or existing within an echo chamber of other fitness professionals. And I think that's where the, the people who kind of checked out of that stuff, and usually they spent time in there. I can think of two good friends of mine who I won't name, but they just, they're done with the circle jerk is the language that they use, right? And they're great people and they're much, much more selective in who they associate with and they have industry friends, but they're very good at creating information and focusing on their gym or their online business or their clients in front of them. And I think at a certain point, it becomes important to learn to shut off all that online time we spend in, you know, the, the, the conversations and the comments of, of posts and make sure that we're still taking care first of our businesses and to help the people. Well, you, you just don't clients. need, you don't need to be there. Yeah. Like you can do it. And like Jason said, it helps get clout, but there's lots of successful businesses that have no Facebook friends in the industry. You know what I mean? Cause they're good at their job and they get results, which is at the end of the yeah. day, it works. Well, and I mean, you raised a really, really great point too, um, Andrew, that I want to come back to, which is when you look at new trainers, I think obviously they're trying to, they're, they're trying to make their mark and having been someone who's digested a fair amount of work from, from all of you, I mean, Andrew, you write a certain way and, and in that way, you are someone who will describe methods for exercise. Rafael looks at the body in a certain way and he almost has that more prehab rehab look at it in terms of this is the way the body functions. I don't write that way. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about stuff that I, I don't see a lot of people talking about. I want to talk about drugs and addiction and sexual abuse and stuff that probably is a little bit side of the, out of the realm of what we're doing, but for some reason it resonates with people. And you know, all of you guys can agree with this. Um, plagiarism is a really big thing in our industry because people don't know how to have their own voice. Yeah. And I think what's really helped is um, Andrew, you mentioned Dean Somerset. I think the worst thing that you can do is try to write like Dean Somerset because he <laughs> is his own person. Yeah. So if you can find your own voice, that's fantastic. That was something, my gosh, I think back to my show, that was something Sohi Lee and I talked about like probably two years ago. Yeah. Um, the good point on Dean, well, the, uh, Dean is, he is actually one of the better, like both technical writers, but also I think he used to talk about this. He was going to apply to medical school and I think he didn't score that well on something important, but his writing ability was just off the charts. So, yeah, no, he's a great writer. Everybody should be reading his stuff. That chick was, like, plagiarizing Sohi. Like, like legit, and, like, you see it all the yes. time. Like, people will, I, I love, like, making fun of shit. But 
on Instagram, you'll see it's almost like there's like this this circle of like we all read this book, so our posts are all going to be about self reflection. Then we all read like the atomic book. Like Atomic Habits. Like Atomic, exactly, perfect example. And it's just like it's not plagiarism, but it's like it's the new thing. Whatever book, like now we don't give a fuck about the world because it says no one should give a well, fuck. Atomic book. Habits is, I mean, it's it's a great piece of work. I, James Clear is wonderful. You know, we met I met him the first year I went to Kansas City Fitness Summit three years ago, uh, and a lot of the stuff he's got is also still distilled down from a couple of the books. I mean, The Power of Habit, a lot of the stuff he, you know, he's, it's not like he's plagiarizing it, but he's distilling into a much more user-friendly form a lot of things that I've read in other places too, right? So he's just really good at that. It's it's not as if everything he's created is utterly original. Nothing I've ever written, at least on the the teenation, the sort of the muscle building, you know, the technical side of stuff is, is purely original thought it, you know it's it's distilled down from stuff that i've absorbed over the years the stuff i write for my own website's a little different i think some of that stuff's kind of unique but um, i've got I, i'm like you say about my voice i'm a, i'm two different writers for two different venues so but i think that that's where even in our next question we'll talk about podcasts but even with the writing like jason was saying with your own voice you can take a lot of this information and put your own spin on it it's when it becomes like literally a carbon copy and i, I just hate to see and circle jerk, whatever, but it, we don't want to be all the same. And that's the whole point of getting into the greater industries. You're exposed to more and the more we move towards, we're talking about the same shit over and over again, the same way. I don't know, as a trainer coming in, it just help doesn't help get a broader perspective, if that makes sense. If everything moves yeah. that way. Right. Yeah. Like I just wanted to bring up one thing is like, I would love to see newer coaches give credit where it's due. Yeah. Like when I came out with my ebook, like one of the first pages is like a list of 20 fitness professionals <laughs> I followed for years. And I'm like, I basically just use what these people use. So you better go look them up. Cause that's where all the root information came from. Well, yeah. And like then your post is original. Cause like, again, when people are writing about atomic habits, they don't like some of them do, but I would say a good half of them just take it verbatim almost. And it's like, you got to do this, this, and this, and this. And that's right from James Clear. Just say you did that. Like, it's okay to read someone's book and give them credit. I think we, as podcasters, you sort of do that inherently by bringing people on. Uh, so we slip Dean Somerset's name into every episode for those who kind of haven't figured that out yet. It's, it's a running joke. We've actually missed about two or three. Uh, he was our first guest. And one of the reasons is, is, you know, he is the most influential person on my career, partly because we worked for the same company for gone six years. And then I left, he followed me out a year later. Now we're under, we're both independent trainers under a different umbrella. And he's part of our team for the, uh, the strength symposium, which is this weekend. So by the time people are listening to it, that'll be done. He's presenting there and he's had an enormous influence on me. So one of the best ways I can uh, help him is to continue to share his work and, his articles, you know, get him in front of more people. I think there's a lot of people that we follow. Anytime I'm talking about training volume, especially hypertrophy stuff, I always mention Mike Isertal because I want people to go back and go to the source. Right? He's, you know, the big one on that. If we're talking glute training, it's Brett Contreras. It just straight up is. If you're talking shoulder work, we're talking about Tony Gentlecore and Eric Cressy and so on and so forth. Um, I can't do justice to the inner workings of shoulders. So if I, if someone's interested in diving in deeper, uh, I have a pre-made resource here instead of having to go and create this stuff. That's what Jason's saying too. Yeah. And that's where if you tie it all together, it's like giving credit, but coming in and almost helping spread it and bringing everyone up. So there's a difference between intent of doing that. Like, oh, we're all friends and like, yeah, you got to see this guy's work and like, or I'm going to post this guy's work because I want him to like me and I want to be in. And like, the, if the intent is off, anyone can tell. Like, it's super easy. 
Right. And I guess that, that this leads actually to the podcasting because we, we are kind of helping people through our content, but we're trying to bring the whole industry up as a whole, I would, I would say, unless Jason or Raph are assholes and don't care about that <laughs> stuff. But <laughs> I'm just going to assume you are because we're really good judges of character when we bring people on. But let's go back into why did each of you decide to begin a podcast and what kept you from going where many people try, well, a lot of people try and they quit. So like what kept you going in this? Because we've seen a lot of podcasts start and then they're just off the map. Like no, no warning. Raph, take it away. Um, so the moment I started my first podcast, it was the intention to, again, help as many people as possible. And like, if you look at, listen to my very first episode, one is like the most terrible thing ever. Like one, I was embarrassed to record my own voice and I like hid in my closet as I recorded it. But um, I basically shared my story when I used to be overweight back in high school where I weighed over 200 pounds. And my biggest thing that I've learned from that experience was like feeling trapped in this rut in this dark, dark place. And when I got out of it, I didn't want anyone else to feel that way. So I was like, I need to get into some sort of platform to help people. And I was just like, again, this is goes back to Kevin Larrabee. Like he's the inspiration why I got into podcasting. Cause I used to listen to his show like every single day driving into work. And same. I was like, you know exactly what? I'm gonna, the same. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do my own, but have a little spin on it where it's more kind of like my story along with other coaches. And it kind of just grew from there. And I've, I've been like so humbled to have so many people on my show that I admire. And like, there's been times where like my recording shit doesn't work while I'm interviewing someone like Molly Galbraith. And I'm like, God damn it. Come on work. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's been quite the experience. We were just talking about that before. Like my, my whole shit wasn't working and I, like, it might not record. So that's why we got you both to record. It's like, fuck. Backup plans. I just we literally back. had, we, we were interviewing Chad Hargrove. Is it Hargrove's? Yeah, Chad Hargrove. Like in the middle of it, my face went white and Andrew's like looking at me like, what the fuck, what the fuck? And I'm just like, let's just keep going. Knowing full well it's not recording. So we, <laughs> Chad was a great sport and we, uh, we we were able to re-record it and do it. I was laughing at your comment about in the closet because we actually had a guest who recorded an episode from in his closet. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> Jason Maxwell. <laughs> it's funny. He just hit out in his closet. So he, said it, he said it's good sound quality in it, though. Because it, it does not open good, room. Good acoustics. Yeah. We've had, we've had Mike Gizertel in his underwear a couple times, for sure. And uh, a bunch of people in their cars. Uh, I, who, who recently was in their car? Derek Stanley. And then his uh, his his phone I like, died. I feel like Megan Calloway. Oh, Megan Calloway yeah, did, Megan too. Calloway she like jumped out of her session, and she was like in her car. It's just kind of, you get those interesting stories and it's kind of, you don't get that without doing it. Um, Jason, is yours as um, altruistic as, as Raph's? Yeah, so it's a very similar beginning, but I'll touch back on something we were discussing at the beginning, which was because I didn't start in a box gym and I didn't, you know, have great people like Dean Somerset that I was working next to or these, you know, these really tenured trainers that I could learn from. Um, I remember a couple things actually. So like y'all, the FitCast was a big thing for me, but what started kind of sort of planting the seed to start the podcast was, um, Joe DeFranco, when he first started the industrial strength podcast in one of his very early episodes, he was like, Hey, the guy that, you know, does all the sound for my podcast, he wrote this book. So if you have an interest in doing podcast, you should pick up his book and see what it's about. And I read it and I was like, okay, well, the, the barrier to entry is kind of low for this. And here I am, I've got this 
this business that I run and you know, you all of you guys have seen those lists where they say like the top thirty yeah. most influential people in health and fitness right now. And it's okay. you've got the people like Lee Peel and Spencer Nadalski and John Russin and all these folks. So I'm just following all these people because this becomes these become my teachers. And so I thought, okay, well, I think what I want to do with this show is kind of like rap. I want to start a show that the general population can take as much from as possible. And initially what I wanted to do is I wanted to have local movers and shakers, people that I respected in the area, but I also wanted Spencer Nadolsky and Casey Nadolsky and all those folks to come on the show. And then I started to get away from the locals and just started to talk of, you know, with the industry folks. Um, but as I mentioned, I also had to kind of get out of that realm and I started talking to authors and psychologists and just, I, I needed to spread the base a little bit. And so that's where um, my show evolved to. You're like us. We did the same thing. Except for like mine was had nothing to do with helping people. I like listen. I'm not gonna listen to podcasts, but I was listening to a podcast <laughs> driving to BC, and I was like, "Fuck, this sucks." Like I could definitely do this. I'm like, "How hard is it to do podcasts?" Like it, it can't be that hard. And like you said, it was such a low barrier to entry. I went and looked up how to start a podcast. It was like you need a mic <laughs> and a computer. I was like, "Fuck, this is so easy." And then like, we went and did the show, like, and we recorded, like, Andrew, like, we have, I called Andrew, I'm like, hey, do you want to do a podcast? I think this is going to be super, super simple. And again, it, it was, like, you can, there's, like, sh shit to it, but it's not that difficult. But same thing, wanted to get local people, I'm like, oh, yeah, it'll be a great way to, like, interview local people, and we can just, like, network, and it'll, like, help our business, and we can get some good stories. And then same thing, that wore thin, not wore thin, but... Like, oh, we should just interview Dean. Oh, we should interview this person. And oh. it just bounces around, and then it's like... I'd already met or knew a lot of the industry people, and that just kept growing as I traveled more. Because well, it was hard to get guests. And then we, we got, what, Carter Good right away, who has a massive following. Then we had Sohi Lee on there, and Mike Isertel. And those three just blew up into massive downloads. Like, that episode of Sohi, to this day, would probably have crossed 10,000 well, It was listens. already at 10. But it was just... Yeah. Wow. But it was just one of those things where it was like... We had no intent because I was just like, I had a super ego about it. I was like, fuck this guy. And then, and then Ad, we couldn't get guests. Like we literally couldn't get guests. So Andrew's like, well, I know this person. So we'll just do these. And, and then it just bounced around. And just because we knew people, it was easier to get people that didn't live in Edmonton. Yeah. So it was hard to get local people. Like, they didn't care about it. And I was like, well, fine. But there's, you know, there's a lot of really great people here too, but there's also a limited number of people who have developed you know, an audience have developed sort of a brand name for themselves. And every once in a while, you get a really great coach, probably newer, hasn't really established themselves all that much. They work as, as a solid trainer, but you know, they, they, it's don't, hard to do a they don't have though. a following either. And so you get people asking, Oh, you know, Hey, I've got a really great story. And it's like, like, this isn't that kind of podcast where it's like, well, a great story. I don't know. You guys can both probably talk to it. Like, Outside of doing one on your own where you have something to say, like, you need to know shit about people. Like, you can't just, like, have someone on and just do, like, an hour, like, without knowing anything about them. You can, but it's it's just harder because we all love fitness, so we read all these fitness people. And it's easy to just not wing it, but I don't know. Maybe you guys wing it, but it's, it's, that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it makes it makes plenty of sense to me. I, I But what I found, too, is that I am um, probably because of my own inherent attention issues i feel like if i if i take a an episode too long that i that maybe it's not quite as engaging so i've almost always intentionally kept my 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 episodes 30 to 40 minutes with a with a few certainly exceptions to the rule and i mean i can rip with anybody for 30 40 minutes on on just about anything but yeah it's just um it, you 
you know, Andrew, you, you mentioned something else too about consistency. That was the one thing I wasn't going to waver on. It was like every week that episode's coming out. So if it's going to be beat by myself, then it, it has to come out. Um, but I mean, I just had to, had to stick with it. Yeah, we, yeah, I think the consistency yeah. thing is like huge. Cause like as coaches, we tell our clients, yeah. Hey, I want you every week to move and eat right. So it's like, we can take our own advice and just yes. put out an episode every week. Like, <laughs> fuck, like you just have to do it. Well, it. Otherwise it won't happen. I think that like, like, like you said, if you tie it to fitness and nutrition, all this stuff, we preach that. But I think leading back to the basic of even the question is like, there, stop fucking like that. there's a reason why a lot of these podcasts fail that come into it. Because again, if you don't do one week after another, like you almost miss the pattern and it's really hard to just start back. Like, you can't just do it. I guess you can, but that consistency builds. You know what I mean? And then you're at like how many rafts at 300. I don't know how many you are at Jason. We're at a hundred. And like, we didn't even mean to, like, I look at him like, Oh shit, we're at a hundred. But had we not have put ourselves on a schedule, there's no, there's no way in hell. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shit. What was I going to say about this crap? I, uh, I was going to say that you guys all do all the technical stuff. I mean, I'm just, I'm here. Just I, shows up I have no fucking clue how any of the tech stuff works. <laughs> that would be a complete disaster. So thank God he knows that stuff inside it. Andrew doesn't know what Google is. That's not true. Andrew, what? He doesn't know what Google is, but he knows how to use oh. his iPad. He can use his iPad though. He's very good with the iPad. He is. He's really good with the iPad. Like that's your thing. Yeah. Well, I use it with clients, so it makes life easier. And Andrew's like my like my dad. Like, like I got my iPad. I can do this. I know exactly what Andrew can do well. I'm like Andrew, you fucking do it, and he does it so well. Like the stuff he does well, like. I wish you knew how to use tech because you'd probably be 10 times better than me. <laughs> um, he just learned how to text. So he like, he was still using the T9. This... <laughs> That's awesome. Thank God this is actually not true. But yeah, I sometimes feel like that. I'm of a different generation. Like, so Jason, how old are you? If you don't want me asking. I will be 44 and two. Oh, you have no so, excuse. So you're actually a little older than me. Okay, cool. Cause I'm 41. Right. So I figured I actually thought I was the oldest here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like we're of that generation that it doesn't come quite as naturally, but you probably just have either savvy for it or worked at it. Now, so. Andrew grew up in the woods. That's not actually <laughs> true. That, that is true. There was woods behind my house in rural Newfoundland. No, there I actually was woods. I'm pretty like serious. Like yeah. you lived in a small town, Newfoundland. Like <laughs> there was literally ocean on one side of the property and there was woods on the other side of the property. Right. So dirt road. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We don't have a ton of time because I'm constrained today. So I was hoping that each of you guys had, um, you know, a story of a client to showcase the power of what an individual can do to change their life if they choose. And the key here is the choices that they make and then the role you were able to play in shaping that change. I want to give something to the enthusiasts so that way they don't get lost in all our industry banter. Yeah, Rafi, you want this one? Yeah, Rafi, yeah, sure. Sure. Um, so one client always comes to mind because I, I think she's been training with me now for eight years. Like, it's been a long time. And I think this happened probably three or four years ago. She was doing the Ride to Conquer Cancer, which is like a bike ride to um, raise money for cancer research here in Vancouver that goes from Vancouver all the way down to Seattle. I think in, you can either do it in two days or one day. But anyway, it was one year where we had like a really, really big windstorm. And as she's writing, a tree broke, fell on her back, severed her spine and destroyed her scapula. And wow. she was like rushed to the hospital in Seattle, got fused from like, I think it was like 
T8 to T12. Like, it was a pretty nasty surgery. And then on the Sunday, because I train her on Monday mornings, she texted me in the hospital. She's like, hey, I'm not going to make it. I broke my back. And I'm like, the fuck? And then she starts sending me, like, x-ray images. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, are you okay? You broke your back. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then as, like, the days came by, she was, kept texting me asking, like, hey, so when do you think I can get back to the gym? I'm like, um, I think you should probably go see a Cairo or a physio or someone before you see me. And like when I started training her, she never really had like the confidence in the fitness and health realm. It's kind of the first time that she was in, you know, in a gym itself. And I think just the fact that she enjoyed the experience and made it like almost addictive, like she always wanted to come back. And then I was seeing her like going from, you know, being super active to being literally in a bed because her, her back broke um, to her texting me saying when she could get back to the gym. And literally like, I'll always remember this date. Like this happened August 24th. Her first day in the gym was literally December 18th of the same year. And I was like counting to myself, I'm like September, October, November, four months, Jesus. We didn't do that much in the gym. It was just more of her getting back into the rhythm and just us talking. But I've never seen so much like determination and passion for fitness when she came from like nothing where she just didn't even know what the gym was. So it was kind of cool to kind of see a story like that. And I was just part of that journey for her. I tried not to picture Mike Tyson. <laughs> I got a super <laughs> awesome story. But I, was just, I, could, I could just imagine her texting like I broke my back. And you're like, yeah, like whatever. <laughs> but like... <laughs> But she actually broke her back. Like, that's crazy. It, it's actually, yeah. I have a buddy that did the same thing. It was in his neck, but he, way different story. Someone fell asleep at the wheel, and then they launched off um, one of those side road things, and their their truck went 100 feet in the air. Anyways, hit his back so hard, he broke his scapula. Like, I've never heard of anyone breaking their scapula. And anyways, same sort of story. So it's just like, that's, that's hard to come back from. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. That's sweet, Ralph. Uh, Jason? Yeah, so I've got a, a gentleman uh, by the name of Hugh, and Hugh is 77 years old. I've worked uh, historically, I, or looking back, I've worked with his wife and a couple of his daughters. And when Hugh came to see me a couple of years ago, he was um, about six months removed from a, a quadruple bypass surgery and an aortic valve replacement. And he's built like a swimmer. He's tall. He's just broad, lanky, that kind of thing. And it was one of those things where when his daughter brought him here to get started, um, you know, the doctors were like, we don't want you lifting more than 20 pounds. So I'm just trying to get his body moving and giving him some light weights to kind of move around. And I remember setting him in front of like a like a lat pull down machine. And so I set it just kind of light, you know, 30, 40 pounds just to see how he felt with it. And he kept jacking the weights up every time I'd walk away. He'd keep moving the plates up a little bit more. And I was like, OK, this this guy's going to be a real treat to work with. And he's he's strong as an ox. Um, he wants to trap lift all the time. He wants to squat all the time. He wants to deadlift. Um, I posted a video of him the other day. Um, he was doing work sets at 355 on his trap lift. He did a set of four and the whole time he's screaming at us, weenie weights, weenie weights. I mean, he's just, he's a different breed of person. He trains here five days a week. I don't ask him to train here five days a week. He just wants to train five days a week. And he's just I can't even take credit for the kind of person that he is. Um, so I use his daughter's words probably because it says it the best. She said, you, you gave my dad 
a community and environment that he looks forward to coming to. And my family can't thank you enough. So he's just anybody who trains with him. He's so special. Um, he really, really is. So, I mean, that's, that's somebody that, that, uh, if you train at a certain time here, everybody knows who Hugh is and it's just tremendously inspiring. You guys both hit on a really critical point. I think it cuts to the core of how I approach my training, but how everybody who is successful feels uh, looking forward to it, having a good experience. <clears throat> a lot of coaches get really caught up in uh, technical programming and periodization, and, and that play, that stuff can have its place. It's important. You don't want to give people bad workouts. But if they enjoy the experience, and that's where a trainer or coach's role is big, because if you can develop an amazing relationship with people, or if people coming into a gym setting and they just like the gym environment, they're more likely to come back. If they continue to come back, the consistency is the thing that we're always talking about to all of our clients and our media messages. Consistency will add up. Even a average or mediocre program will get someone good results if they're really, really consistent. A perfect program that someone doesn't stick to gets them nowhere. Not that I'm advocating giving people bad workouts, give people great workouts, but if they keep coming back <clears throat> because they enjoy the experience, then it cuts through the need to have willpower to show up every day. They want to be there. Their identity becomes that of a fit and active person. They're no longer like dreading coming to the gym. They're no longer sitting in the parking lot for 10 minutes contemplating coming in or not. We've all probably had clients who, who've done that. One of my clients recently mentioned something like that. But if they like the experience, they're going to get consistent. Kyle, I, I just had Kyle Dobbs on. That will be really Tuesday. I don't even know. I referenced this <laughs> one. But it was touching on what all of you were saying was that um, it, it ends up being able to decline experience because most people aren't like us trainers. Like we're the 99% who, who like being in the gym, who like tracking our diet. Like that's weird for a lot, a lot of the people. And I think a lot of new trainers, and we'll talk about RAF mentoring and all this stuff afterwards, but they don't understand that like people aren't like us. So we're seeing it through our eyes and like to, to kind of make them feel like we feel in the gym. That's, all, that's probably our main obstacle a lot of the times because they have to feel that community. They have to feel like they like it because a lot of people will see the gym and be like, there's no fucking way. And both of you have described a situation in which seemingly it's hard to get in there and now they're loving it. And like you, yeah. you basically hit, you, you, you nailed it because the programming, they don't care about the programming, the science a lot of the times like we do, but that's, that shit's boring for most people. So to get them to like fitness, that's real, that's a huge accomplishment on any trainer's part. And that's usually low hanging fruit. That's, totally bypassed a lot of that. I think it's the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Especially when they're yeah. giving their money away to you. <laughs> yeah. It could suck. Exactly. Any other tidbits, any other things that you personally feel very important that anyone listening, either as a coach to how to approach their clients or as an enthusiast with their own uh, efforts to get in better shape, anything that you have that you really like or believe in that? Um, for me personally is like, I would say the last like three years have been really honing in on this is like being really empathetic to the person that you have in front of you. Cause I've brought this up on my show a lot of times where a lot of coaches come from an athletic background and have never felt, you know, being 40 pounds overweight, having three kids and then a spouse that's not happy that you're deciding to go to the gym and be selfish or whatever the hell their issue is. And then having that person in front of you and trying to connect with that individual when maybe that coach has been playing, you know, high level 
in baseball and university and wants to train the pros, but they're going to train Sally Sue for the time being. But it's like, fuck, like just be a good human being and your career is going to take off. Yeah, because no one's like, every, most of your clients are Sally. Like, the, just even metric wise, like it's going to be like the mid 20s to like up to 40 female spending the money on fitness. Like, you're training yeah. Sally no matter which way you look at it. Yeah. It's like, you got to care about what Sally cares about because Sally doesn't care about your goddamn baseball career and the fact that you could trap our another 500 pounds. <laughs> when I think about that fictitious, <laughs> that fictitious character oh, of, a, of a client, it's like Jordan Syatt's Karen's. Or uh, my favorite one is Mark Fisher's Mrs. Rossini. Yeah. <laughs> I don't train at Sally, FYI. It would suck if either of you did. <laughs> like, they listen to this like, I, I didn't know you played baseball, Raph. <laughs> I, did, I did not play baseball. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I got to piggyback off of Raph and just because it's sort of a broad thing and, and it's not just for, for client interaction. It's really for even trainer-to-trainer -trainer interaction, uh, certainly the things we see on social media, but seriously, no judgment um, because I think the moment that you come in and, and you start to kind of look at people, you know, looking down your nose, I think all of a sudden the game changes. And, you know, we, we hear the adage because it gets used all the time. You don't know what kind of battle somebody else is fighting. So when you look at your client or you look at people in the industry who are going through, you know, whatever bullshit struggle they're going through, don't don't judge. Just just sit back and see if you can be a kind ear and see if you can understand where you can meet somebody at. And I think you're going to be in such a better place with that relationship. Well, I think even <clears throat> that's with clients. And I think even with trainers, the trainers, because there's this big thing right now, like, everyone's fighting over whatever like right now i think i went and messed like read like novelty is now like not the way to progress you need to do the same thing over and over again anyways people go on camps and then it just makes it's almost like everyone's judging everyone and it's like you don't know what the fuck they're dealing with like so maybe they like not like you know what i mean like there's always a contextual argument that is always lost with a lot of these things and that goes with clients but it's also going with the industry as a whole does that make sense yeah yeah it's like judgment is rampant it's, i just don't get it. it's like because it just puts a negative spin on a lot of things. But it gets lots of likes and social media stuff. What, you want me to ask him what, what well, <laughs> <laughs> I always have to make a, so this is like totally calculated. This is our podcast. I like to pretend like I don't know there's a question and Andrew's like, you gotta go back to the script and then well, I just make fun there, of Pella back and write is, the scripts. There is some good news. Uh, my first client, he's, uh, well, it's not good news because he's gotta go take his dad to the hospital. His dad will be fine. I know the story. So I've got a little bit more time here with you guys so we don't have to rush as much. So. Oh, sweet. So a Andrew's gonna stick around for a little bit. We can we can finish the podcast. <laughs> but the, so this, <laughs> this goes into the next part about Raph. So you've served as a mentor to new trainers and you see... Well, both the challenges and resources that people have to work with coming up in the industry. So what do you feel like in terms of new and emerging coaches need to start their career off right? Like, what do they need to start off right? And what, if anything, would you wish you had when you started? And Jason, we'll get your thoughts on this as well. Um, for me personally, when I first started, like, I think it took me a year before I could figure out who Mike Boyle was. And I was like, when I saw his work, I was like, fuck, why did I have this when I first started? Like, it would have been so easy. And, like, uh, recently I, I went to Long Beach for the Perform Better Summit and I got to meet Mike Boyle for the first time. But, like, his whole, like, presentation was, like, take whatever I'm saying and just steal the shit out of it so you can better help everybody. He's like, I don't even care if you take my slides and present it somewhere else. He's like, at least you're making the freaking industry better. And then, like, that's what I've been telling all the coaches at my gym that are new, I'm like, steal my shit. 
Like I've been in the industry for 10 years. I've seen a lot of crap. I've kind of summarized into things that I like to use with clients. Here you go. Start implementing it rather than like for the first couple of years of my career where you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. Fuck, it doesn't work. Oh, this guy has more better stuff. I'm going to start using his stuff. And then you kind of keep bouncing and finding better ways to serve your clients. Whereas now it's like all this information is available. And I'm like, I can just take all this info and give it to all these new coaches to now better the industry. Cause like, it goes back to my core value of like helping as many people as possible. Like I can only see so many clients or so many patients in a day. And I'm like, but if I can mentor other coaches to do a good job when it comes to training and serving clients, now my reach is even bigger. Well, it's interesting you say Mike Boyle, cause that's exactly what happened to me, except for I didn't wait a year. It was like a month. So it's, Totally perfect. But like a lot of those resources, and you can use Mike Robinson. I think it's R7. Anyways, Robertson. Robertson. Yeah. What did I say? Robinson? Yes. We got to get Mike on here, by the way. I met him a couple of years ago. He's really, he's a sweet, awesome dude. Yeah. And they want to better the industry. And a lot of those resources, it's just like, it just makes life so much easier. Because we've all went to school and school didn't teach you shit. And then you, you go read Mike's book and you're like, fuck, everything's laid out for me. Then you can focus on what... <laughs> what you need to do as a, as a coach, as opposed to understanding what needs to happen. Cause it like lists everything for you. And then you can kind of learn and distill things further down, but at least you have a starting point. And I think that with a lot of information comes the fact that there's a lot of information to sift through. And that's a difficult thing as new trainers. Cause there's, everything's right to anyone. Like anyone who puts out their stuff, that's the right way to do it. And there's like a million of those people at this point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll throw in a couple thoughts that I had because Maybe, maybe Wait, Jason wants to weigh in. No, I, we'll get to Jason, but I want to throw in something first. <laughs> I think you should probably pick a select handful of fitness professionals with good information. But the counter thought to that is, is don't try to follow 100 people. Don't try to absorb the information that, you know, th there are hundreds of great people in our industry putting out good information. And I think you should zero in on a handful that mirror your philosophies, that have great information. And then go from there. And as you gain more experience, you can gradually add pieces to that puzzle. I'll, uh, I'll come back to more, but Jason, let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, I guess I have a, a maybe a slightly different take on this. And, and again, it's just coming from what my perspective was into the industry. But when I started my business, I didn't know anyone. I, I literally didn't. I didn't have any clients. And I was starting in a town that was not my, my hometown or my home base. And so the most beneficial thing for me early on was I got involved in a a business networking group, which was something where, you know, literally there's a group of 20, 30 people who are not competing interest. So realtors and attorneys and all this stuff, and you're only there to refer business to one another. And that was a, a pivotal thing for me to be involved in because what it did was it opened me up to this base of people who not only could become potential clients, but become potential sources of referrals for me down the line. Certainly if any of them became clients of mine, which many of them did. And so for probably the first after uh, after my first year of business is when I got involved in one of those groups. And for probably the next two to three years, um, that was one of those game-changing moves. And what's happened is as my own business has grown, where I've had to step away from my involvement with groups like that, now I have this pool of resources. So if a client of mine comes in and says, hey, I need to sell my house. Do you know any good realtors? I've got a boatload of them. I can give you realtors all day long um, or a chiropractor or a physical therapist or whatever the case is. But now that network is Facebook. For me mm -hmm. so when i'm posting pictures and videos of my clients and tagging them this becomes the source of new business for me and uh so it's just you're just expanding your network just literally brick by brick and that was just it was such a game-changing thing for me to be involved in early on well and i think that that's a great point because we have those here 
Um, and, and people do it in all sorts of industries. And, and a lot of the times in fitness, we don't. Like, we don't get involved in that stuff. And our businesses, a lot of the times, unless you're like a strictly online coach, which I won't get into that bullshit right now unless you've been in it for a while. But, like, we live in the real world with real people. And Mike Dola always says that he's like, he's on the online trainer groups for anyone. There's like a Facebook group for online trainers um, with the PTDC. And people will ask, like, how do I get more clients to do all this? And it's like, go out into, like, the world, like your hometown or whatever, and meet people, tell them about what you do. And like, that's a hard thing to do, but that's a lot of times the real answer. Like people aren't just going to find you like they will, but like you have to be rooted in the brick and mortar. Cause if you're going to work in the real world, you got to source out the real world shit. I can't count the number of times I've been out in, and I don't get out in the world enough because I work so fucking much, but uh, I've been out somewhere else and I've run into someone that I was acquainted with or knew. And then that person's like, Hey, I got to come train with you. Uh, I I go to a different gym than I work at. And it's something that I don't encourage new trainers to do this, especially if you're in a commercial gym. I think you actually need to work out in your gym space so people see you doing it. But if you establish yourself for a while, and the space I'm in now, has it, it's super successful. It's smaller and it has less members than the old commercial gyms. So I still like to go to commercial gyms frequently. And I run into people that I know I'm acquainted with. I grab people on social media. And at least twice in the last two months, I've picked up a client by running into someone I had previously known, one guy I hadn't seen in a decade, and he came up to me and, and recognized me from an old job I did. And within a month, he was messaging me going, hey, I want to come train with you. So that's really good. You see people at the supermarket or Costco recently or um, I, you know, a, a really odd place that I've actually picked up a lot of clients over the years is uh, out in the, the nightclub scene. And I, I don't frequent that stuff much anymore. Who wears a trainer much. shirt to the nightclub? Oh, not true. I will, <laughs> <laughs> I, trainer. I will go out and, and uh, say like a, a friend of mine's a manager at a pub in, uh, in White Ave. So it's one of the sort of downtown areas of uh, Edmonton. And yeah, I've been in there and run into an acquaintance and someone they start talking about wanting to come train with me. And this has happened numerous times. And I remember I worked at a bar six years ago for like half a year as a bouncer, uh, just when we had a really slow period at our old commercial gym a long time ago. And at least four or five of the people that I had worked with in that bar or I had met in that bar space became clients of mine. Uh, one is active and he still works in the bar industry. You know, he's become a really, really good friend and that has been a useful resource too. So I don't necessarily advocate trainers go and have a second job. If they're first starting out and slow, I get it totally. I like to see people totally all in on the whole job. But funny enough, you can actually get clients from working in those environments well, too. Well, know the real world. Yeah. Like like even we talked about it, like know what's happening in the news or popular culture and all these things. Like they have nothing to do with fitness, but everything to do with being likable and understanding people. And if you don't actually understand people and where they live and where they're at, how are you supposed to meet them there? Right. That's right. Like, watch Game of Thrones. Like, fuck. <laughs> it was like, so super random. There was like this, my wife sends me this meme. And it's like, this has nothing to do with fitness, by the way. She sends me this, this meme saying, like, now it's a badge of honor to not have watched Game of Thrones or even been interested in it. So now people are wearing their like badge on, and like, I didn't even give a shit about that. And like, it's that's, like, how did you not watch Game of Thrones? That's like, you're common. just that's the thing. And I actually think I think it's a, I'm going to put some direct language on. I think it's kind of a loser thing to brag about that sort of garbage. Yeah, like you're um, completely loser. You didn't watch the, Game of Thrones. The most recent one is is Tool. So Tool, yeah, uh, same thing. Nice. Thir Thirteen years ago was the last album they put out. They put out one, and, and I love it. I'm a big Tool fan. 
And you see the memes and people being sh- just stupid and shitty about it. So I actually made a post because I picked up tickets. He literally made a, like, he wrote a book about it, basically. It was a very short post. <laughs> and I picked up tickets to Tool in Toronto. So I'm going to go to two shows in Toronto in November. And I'm excited about it because I had to miss them two years ago when they were here. I, I was in Newfoundland for my grandmother's 90th birthday and there are priorities. And I saw them nine years ago here and I love the band. And you know, you never know when something happens. Uh, lots of bands are no longer, no longer exist. I love uh, P- Pete Steele of Typo Negative died and never got to see Typo Negative. They're, they're fantastic. Other bands break up. So you don't always get those opportunities, but they stop touring. So I said, okay, cool. I'm going to go to this. But I preface this because I see so much negative. And I said, you know what? If you're one of those people that, you know, likes to say this kind of crap, like this isn't about you, you know, so stop stealing other people's joy about something that actually means a lot to them. I love their music. Their new album is sensational. And what's the background on that? Cause I don't like people don't like tool or they like them. Right. Is that the thing? Well, I think it's more trendy and cool to hate on it or to shit on it or just to make light of it. Right. So it's like Nickelback. It's like everyone hates on Nickelback, but they're, they're hugely <laughs> successful. Like I don't even like we, like Nickelback. We put Nickelback and Tool in the same in the same thought like, process. But like, how do you make fun of Nickelback when like like logistically, <laughs> they obviously were sick. Like people don't agree with that opinion, yet none of them back them up. Like lots, you all bought of, their fucking CDs. Lots of people are listening to them. I actually use several Nickelback songs. This is an admission I'm comfortable with. As my favorite heavy intense song no. when, I, when I lift heavy. Really. It, Every Nickelback album is the same. They have yeah. a formula, and there's a upbeat bar, song? bar party song, and then they have this intense, fast, like metal song. And I actually like that particular sounding song. So they're often some of the best ones. There's a real. There's an album, Feed the Machine. The actual song is Feed the Machine. There's another album, uh, This Means War. Another album, Million Miles an Hour. They're all the same song, just on different albums. But they're really good for heavy lifting. I think you should. And make my a other one is that. Big Wreck Ladylike because that's just heavy and intense. You should make a post about this. Uh, I probably well, will. It's actually I, like I, I, too wanna, I, I do want to mention the tool thing for a second because I think a lot of the people that are bitching about it, they want them to go back to the first couple albums. They want Undertow again. They want Enema again. And it's like you can go back to interviews with Maynard where he's like, "We're not going to write that stuff again. We're not going to write those songs. If you want to hear those songs, you listen to those albums." So honestly, I mean, I think Fear Inoculum. It's it's the next logical step forward for the band, and I you know I I, I thought it was great, but you know the Tool fans are going to stay Tool fans, and the people that were sort of lukewarm, they probably cast them off. I, I love the new album. I actually I do think it's the best one they've ever released. It's an evolution. It's got a lot of the same sort of stuff that you heard in different albums along the way. Oh, and for anyone who's a hardcore Tool fan, Numa is better than Tempest. Uh, I'm sorry, it just that's Tempest right. is the first. Half of Tempest is actually kind of mediocre, and the rest is really good. But uh, Rob's just sitting there, doesn't watch Game of Thrones, hates Nickelback, hates. Yeah. I like Machine Gun Kelly. Probably watches uh, reruns of of um, what is it? Uh, God, the Gilmore Girls. Oh, I actually watched the Gilmore Girls. My mom. <laughs> I used to watch with my mom. She she liked it. See, I just got Dean to admit on air that he watches well, the Gilmore. I would say a lot of people, more people uh, watch Gilmore like, Girls. Than... What I've been watching right now is reruns of Friends, and I, was like, say, I haven't that's, watched that that's show worse. since like that's when it first came out. And I'm like, fuck, Netflix has all the seasons, and I'm like, this show is fucking awesome. Are, aren't all you millennials offended by Friends? Is not that what I hear? <laughs> it's supposed to be yeah, like. Yeah, I a... don't understand that. I'm like, fuck, it was written like in the '90s. Get over it. <laughs> like, what do you expect? <laughs> it's, it's like when people are like. Uh, 
they're triggered by the Dave Chappelle ones. Like, Jesus. Like, don't well, go on the stand-up comedy specials. Like, they're going to say bad shit about Anyone who yeah. is triggered by Dave Chappelle's comedy, is it's meant to trigger you. Uh, do you yeah. see Ro- you guys know who Raj Law is, right? He's part of uh, Mark Fisher Fitness. Yeah. And so Raj actually posted this thing. And you can go into the comments. And, of course, it's, it goes back to our industry circle jerk bullshit. I didn't even post in there. But I read a few of the stuff. And it was very, very predictable who in our industry uh, hated on it or disliked it or, or used the cliche bullshit like, oh, it was lazy or it was tired or whatever. It was like, no, it offends you, right? It's meant to offend you. And, and these are the, the people of a certain ideological leading. I won't go too far into that stuff. He was racist but on TV. Of, what? <laughs> he was talking about race issues on TV and making fun of it. Like, of course he's going to be the worst person in the world. On well, the he, he basically took the piss out of political, political correctness, which is what I love the most. So, Anyways, <laughs> I don't even know how we got here. Um, I got here because I talked about Game of Thrones. It's classic. <laughs> it's just that every time I look at Andrew, like, I think of Tormund. Like, he looks like Tormund, and it's just like there's always a Game of Thrones reference somewhere. In it. <laughs> let's give him the book one. Let's. Well, yeah, let's get a book from each you guys. If there's anything that has been influential in your philosophies in your career that you want to share, uh, no research manuals this time, guys. Please. Uh, <laughs> Every once in a while, someone's like, "Oh, I don't read much, but I like reading research for fun." It's like, okay, that's great. <laughs> uh, wow. So yeah, you guys got anything that fits that? We'll go with Raph first. Um, so the book that I always go back to is essentialism and like I read that probably like I don't know three years ago and I'm like fuck it is so so good so every person I meet or any coach I meet I'm like fucking read essentialism it's gonna change your life just focus on what's really really important in your life and you'll be set and you slip a Nickelback CD in the middle yeah Sorry. Second vote for essentialism. Uh, it's one of my tried and true favorites. I think it's really important. So everybody should read it. Jason. Yeah. So I, I want to reference a book that I've given to a lot of clients. It's called Younger Next Year. Do y'all know this no, one? No, I've never heard of that one. No. So Younger Next Year, to give you some backstory, it's written by two guys. The the one gentleman is like a 70-something retired former you know Manhattan prosecuting attorney and his 40-something-year-old geriatric doctor. And they basically trade off chapters talking about the things that you should do to improve your health. And it's not just about you should eat this way, you should train this way. The the attorney, the 70-something, is crazy. Like he's all about lifting heavy and doing crazy ski slopes and all this other stuff, but he realizes he has to take care of his health. But it's also about, you know, do you have your finances in order and how's your relationship with your wife? And it just... It's something that when I think about the clientele that I serve, this is something that they all deal with. And he, and he says snarky shit, like, don't ever eat French fries ever again. French fries are the worst food for your health. But it's just – it's something that's got a fair amount of humor and a fair amount of health into it that most people can relate to. And uh, and it was so – the first book was so popular that they did a, a revision of it called Younger Next Year for Women so they could touch on similar topics but as it pertains to – um, to the the differences in you know biology and with that gender, so uh, both books are great, and I, I've given away more copies of Younger Next Year than I can possibly count. That's weird. I never heard that one. No, that's new. And you got, you got me with the French fries because, like you said, there's if, they're probably trying to be super relatable, which is huge when you read something because a lot of it's kind of over a lot of people's heads. Yeah. Yep. That's sweet. 
just reminded me of one of my clients. She's a sweetheart, and she loves anything that is derived from potatoes. So it's chips, fries, you name it. That is her weakness. So French fries can't be that bad. Um, <laughs> like maybe like the bad French fries, but there's like if, good if, ones. if you get the Canadian version with soggy gravy and cheese curds, and <laughs> I actually think poutine is so one of the good. most disgusting substances known to man <laughs> so i went to i actually had poutine on the weekend at the wedding like before the wedding we went out and they had like 10 different types of poutine and i got a donaire poutine so it was a combination of like sweet sauce gravy cheese donaire meat and fries and it, it wasn't that good but like i was thinking the same thing i'm like fuck this shit's like <laughs> this is shit i think it looks like vomit like seriously uh, it, it's one of the most disgusting things i could possibly imagine and i don't know why it's so popular <laughs> I was just gonna go to like um, the McCain's ones, the Mexi fries. Those are my favorite. Like those can't be bad. What are they called? <laughs> Tender tater tots. Tater tots. Did they say anything the about tater? tater they say anything about tater tots in the book? I don't think so. <laughs> now all I can now, now I can picture is Napoleon Dynamite, and I pray to God people have seen this oh, movie yes. where, he, where he's. Got the tater tots in his pocket, and whoever the other one is is like asking for the tots. He won't give them to him. So the person takes his bands and smashes them. Oh, yes. this, this is, there's way too much self indulgence here. I'm so we're sorry for all our listeners, but like yeah. sometimes it just we went to darker places, so it's it's all right. You well, get a this, of like this it's inside the mind of podcasters and the kind of bullshit when we get to talk about ourselves, right? Well. So, like, if you're like listening to this and you were talking about podcasters, like the amount of shit that goes through my head sometimes that I don't say is quite substantial. I don't know if you guys have the same thing. Well, I I usually say it. So, well, I'm trying to be politically correct. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll go. We'll go with where 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 do people find you guys? Um, Raph, we'll start with you. If people want to know about Raph your podcast, where is the best place? Um, so my podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play. You just gotta search up "Cut the Shit, Get Fit." I'm the only one it, up there. It's, it's hard though. Easy. You need to like put it's because it's not shit. It's like S yeah, it's a hashtag with an exclamation mark because iTunes didn't like swear words in podcasts, and that was a whole another story. It took me like two months to get my uh, show approved on iTunes because of that fucking shit word anyway we did that too um, i'm not bitter we, we didn't get we didn't get on because andrew put hell in the description he's like he put some he put a swear in the description for like the podcast when we're going to itunes and like we couldn't get it on i'm like what the fuck is wrong with this like it's 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 called the fitness devil andrew wrote like a nice clean intro and i actually went and read it i'm like andrew you put swears in it and they like wouldn't let us go on itunes it took like two months terrible Anyways, um, sorry. But yeah, you can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, Rafael Matuszewski. Long, complicated last name. You'll find me. <laughs> yeah. And Jason. Yeah, so um, the the show is Revolutionary You. And I, I mean, you guys won the lottery on the two craziest last names you could have brought on your show simultaneously. So yeah, uh, if, if you want to catch up with the show and the blog, it's jasonleanarts.com. If you want to follow the mischief that we're doing here at the studio, I just request that people friend request me. Don't follow me because most of what I share, I share privately, not publicly, but it's all there. If anybody wants to connect and see what's up. I think that's a good rule for like, maybe not enthusiasts, but like anyone in the fitness industry, like don't send me a friend request. If I don't like you don't like at least message me so you can tell me you're gonna send me to your page to like it. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'll, I would probably like it if you messaged me. Like, can you add me as a friend? I'm trying to get people to follow my page, and I'm trying to come up, and I'm going to send you this, like, soliciting page, and I just want you to like it. And I would do that and then unlike it. But at least, like, you asked. I don't... See, if, like, if it's, if it's a real friend... That. Oh, yeah, that's annoying. If it's a real friend, and they want me to like their yeah. stuff, and I get it, I'll just fucking like it. Here's the thing. None of it shows up anyway on your feed no. because of the Facebook algorithm, right? They have to boost it. So that's why I actually have never actually had an official Facebook business page. I just treat my, my Facebook as a business page. And funny enough, I'm actually the opposite. If I know somebody or like industry or whatever, cool, I'll, I'll add a Facebook friend. I actually prefer people just to follow because if I don't know who someone is, I don't want to offend someone by not accepting a Facebook friend request. So yeah, like just no. just give it a follow if you're and, and please comment and interact. If I get to know someone and I realize okay, you're actually a real person and not uh, like it's obvious to tell what are fake profiles. But it's sometimes it's, you have lots of fake profiles. Well, because but that, this, this is where but this is where the lesson comes in. So you want to learn something? There's a silver lining. I just started adding people because I'm like fuck. People are just like <laughs> messaging me, and then it's just like then it just got like crazy and there's all these fake people I'm like fuck what happened I'm like I let one bad apple in and they ruined it so now I don't even like I have to know them or they have to message me so it's a the, really the, good rule it's a great rule anytime I get the one only, of these like pictures the only of people something. that I don't that I don't accept friend requests from well there, there's two so there's I I don't accept it when I see the the person that's sending me a friend request says I help trainers yeah, go done. from zero yeah. to ten thousand dollars a month <laughs> so thank you and the the scantily clad girl that's got three friends and one mutual yeah, yeah I don't accept those yeah, either she's not so that, that's about did, it did she's you not. guys get a friend request from what uh what's his name Faruqi Farouk. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's already blown up my DMs. I've oh, that guy. Is, he's a he's a special breed. Do you remember? He's post? a special. He actually had like so. I actually went and did research on him because I wanted to like see the does he actually have a business? Dude, like actually makes videos and they're super terrible, but like he's grinding hard. Like he has some funny ones where they're like he thinks that they're good, but they're funny because they're bad. And so I almost <laughs> want to be his friend just to see more of it. We, we really have trouble getting past an episode without at least taking some sort of pot shots at the, the skeezy online business coach. We actually have friends who are legitimate business coaches who do great work. There's a they difference. Got, like solid businesses. And we've had a few of them on the podcast. Ryan Ketchum's fantastic. Uh, Eric Bach. Mm-hmm. And there, there are other people who've been on here who are in that space. But, oh my God, then there's the, the scummy ones. So, yeah. It's, it's fun to make fun of them. It is low-hanging fruit, but we got to have our jollies at some point. I don't know, we gotta live life a little bit. Like, we make fun of Nickelback, we can't make fun of fucking business coaches. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I suppose this is also worth mentioning too, guys. So we, I haven't actually uh, voiced this yet because this is something we did really quickly. And So by now, you've already heard that Dean has his side project that is part of the main download stream of our podcast. So, and you called it... Bar- Barbell Me Search. Barbell Me Search. Cool. So it's, it's actually quite different from from what we're doing here. It's something that he's got more free time and, and it's something he's passionate about. So they'll actually be very different sounding episodes. He's going to be interviewing a, probably a different style of a fitness professional from what our mainstream often is. So if you are one of our main listeners, give it a shot. If it's something that really appeals to you, then they're going to come in the feed. If you're really more interested in just staying within the main feed, th- those are still coming. So don't worry. But, uh, and if you're someone who is coming to the main episodes from the, from the, the side project, well, well, hopefully you like these too, but if they're not for you, then Dean is going to continue to do his side project as well. So we just figured that we'd expose everybody to it and, they, and you guys can sort amongst yourselves what you like to listen to. Yeah, and we're not breaking up. And also on that note with other podcasts, 
you you both have podcasts and we pretty much roll through the same people. So different vantage point on what you're going to learn from them. But I would say go like you guys have way more podcasts than us combined with some of the returning guests. So if you like any of our podcasts, go check out these guys' Rolodex because you, you'll literally find they've interviewed way more people than us. And I think we all have the same guests. It's awesome. We, we've had uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Lisa Lewis. And I think, Jason, you had her around the same time we did. Um, who else? You've had Kelly Coffee a few times. We've had her on a couple yes. times. Uh, you mentioned yep. Spencer Dalski. He's been on ours a couple of times. And I know there's a lot more people. I you got... see Rath has like everyone. I don't oh, yeah. You like literally, <laughs> what the hell? Because I see Jason <laughs> more than I see Raph, so. Raph, yeah, how, many episodes right, are, Raph, how many episodes are you at? Uh, 261 yeah, right who, now. Who are some of your, uh, you know, favorite he, and big name. He's everyone. I uh, swear to guests God. that you've ever had, Raph. Uh, the biggest one that I was so nervous for was Dr. Stuart McGill. And then like at one point I asked him a personal question and when I gave him my thoughts on it, he told me that it was a very intelligent answer. And I was like, fuck, can you say that again? (laughs) 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 So good. That was recent. Um, That was recent. Yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Cool. That's big. We've never had Stu. And he he was, he, he wasn't as big time before. Like you got him when he's big time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, I can't remember who connected me to him. I think it might have been Brett Jones. Yeah, I think it was Brett Jones that connected me with him. His, his course is extremely expensive. It's coming in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Somerset just posted it. And like, you're looking at the options. And I'm like, oh shit, I got a bunch of commitments around that time. And it's like, eh, like, this looks really cool, but I may not be able to pull it off. So I, feel I can't bad. afford it. It was like five yeah. grand. You take it. Well, whatever. It's, 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 it's good stuff. It's worth it. It's just like, that's it. I was like, holy shit. Anyways. Um, okay, let's wrap it up. That's Good. It. Well, guys, everyone who came here to listen and stuck around for this, thank you so much. Uh, if you are a podcast enthusiast, and I know there's some people who just love finding new stuff, go check out the guys' podcasts. Scroll through. If there's guests that you're really interested in, go check that out. Um, I have an abundance mindset with everything I approach. I am not worried that a dedicated listener here is suddenly going to abandon us for a different podcast. Maybe we'll have to talk about Nickelback. Probably, and poutine. It probably <laughs> offended a lot of people who love poutine, but guess what? That's too bad. Uh, you'll you'll get over it. <laughs> so, you know, go check the guys out. Guys, thanks so much for taking the time to come and sit down with us. Uh, this is something we've been chatting about for a little while. Um, I don't know if you had any parting thoughts, anything you want to share. Um, otherwise, uh, I'm good. Yeah, guys, thank you so much. This was a blast. Yeah, thank you, guys. This is freaking awesome. Yeah, thank you, guys. Shut up and sit down.